Well, good morning. My name is Nate Arnold, and most of you probably know me by now. Uh, and I have the glorious privilege of bringing God's Word for us this morning. So good morning to you. Our title of our sermon today, since I know that you guys are very interested in reaching out to your local community and befriending sinners and witnessing to people, the title of our sermon today is found on page 8 in your bulletin, and it's All the Tips, Tricks, and Hacks You Need to Reach Your Community with the Gospel. Just like a YouTube channel, right? <laughs> All the tips, tricks, and hacks you need to reach your community with the gospel. And we're going to be preaching today mainly from Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to start in Matthew 28, and that's where our initial scripture reading will be. And this is a little different sermon than I normally preach. In other words, I'm going to open with a passage, and I'm going to read the various parables in Matthew 13 as I preach through the points. So everybody got that? But you don't have to stand every time. We'll stand for the initial one here in a moment. The book of Matthew is really based on five discourses. And everyone knows what a discourse is. It's a discussion. And the five discourses in Matthew are chapter 5 through 7, which you're familiar with. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And it's where Christ is talking in, in Matthew, in the book of Matthew, and he's discoursing about things that are going on there. And the Sermon on the Mount, like I said, you're very familiar with that. You already know uh, where Christ is saying, you have heard it said this way but this is what you should actually believe. The second discourse is found in chapter 10 where Jesus sends out the 12 and he tells them what to expect and how to behave as they go out into the world and reach the gospel for Christ. The third discourse is chapter 13 where we'll be preaching today and that's kingdom parables and we'll look at those very closely. The fourth discourse is chapter 18 through 20, the kingdom community, how the community is supposed to work. And then the fifth discourse is chapter 24 and 25, which is the coming of the Son of Man. So that's the book of Matthew in a nutshell, and that's how the book of Matthew is built and put together in general. And it's organized around these five discourses. We're going to be looking at chapter 13 specifically today, which is a series of parables that talk about how the kingdom of God operates. Now, often we'll take these... And we'll take them individually, which is a very good thing. And we'll break down the parable and look for the, the one nugget that's in there for us. And that's how we'll approach it. But I want you to expand your mind a little bit today. We're going to look at the whole chapter, verses 1 through 52. Not quite whole chapter, but, but most of it. So it's a little different. Everybody go with this way for yes. A little different. But it'll be fun. I think it'll be useful uh, I say fun. Anything in the Word of God is always fun to me. That's, I'm weird. But uh, and it will be convicting. It convicts me every time I read these parables. And it will be encouraging because you'll be pointed to Christ and you'll be pointed to how to act and, and interrelate with the world around you. So Matthew has this larger purpose for grouping them, grouping them this way and to teach us an over arching lesson, and that lesson is to flip the way we think. We often, whether we like it or not, we think like the world, don't we? It sneaks in, comes in through all kinds of ways, and we catch ourselves thinking like the world. So Christ is talking here, and he wants to flip our minds, flip the way we think. So I'll ask you to stand 
for the reading of God's Word, and we're going to go all the way to Matthew chapter 28, and that's, we're going to begin with the ending in mind, because that's always a great place to begin. We know where we're going, we know why we're going there, and we're going to read what's called the Great Commission, verses 18 through 20 of chapter 8, very familiar passage to most of you. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. May God add a blessing to the reading of his glorious and perfect word. Let's pray. Father, we are finite and everlasting. We're built to last forever, but you are eternal. You have no ending. You have no beginning. And Lord, we bow before you this morning and we humbly ask that your spirit would show each of us where we need to draw closer to Christ and obey better and that He would encourage us where we're already doing those things and help us not to faint or falter or draw back, but that your name would be magnified greatly in this congregation, in the place where it sets, and that Christ, the name of Jesus Christ, would be made famous through every household and every person here in this area and pointed to Christ, Lord. In Jesus' name we ask that. Amen. You may be seated. So I've laid out six points. How many of you have ever heard a six-point sermon? Okay, we'll move fast, I promise you. I'm going to go ahead and check my time to make sure I'm good. We're going to move fast. The first point, well, I'll go ahead and cover the points with you. The mission, the means, they're right there in your bulletin, the master, the measure, the marvel, and the many. Those are our six points. So let's begin with the mission. We just read it. We just read what the mission of the church is and what the mission of every Christian is in this room. So if you're a Christian, that's your mission statement. Now, when we read this, if we're honest, we often feel guilty, don't we? I know I do, because I start thinking about how short I come up in making disciples. And you all know that the imperative is on to make the disciples, not just to go, but it's on making disciples. And I'm, I'm reminded time and time again how far short I fall of doing that. And I'm sure you are too. So we often get this wave of guilt that comes over us when we read this text. And, you know, I remember I kind of have a vivid imagination. I'm a little crazy. But uh, I remember thinking through this text in a tape or a video would begin to play in the back of my mind, and it would start with the ode to the common man. And then you would have the drum roll. And then you would have evangelism, the final frontier. These are the voyages of super Christian. Able to preach on any street corner, anywhere, at any time. Able to stare down sinners with a condescending view. We know that's just silly, isn't it? But that's the way our mind works. That's the way my mind works, and I'm sure yours too, to some point. And 
We just need to flip the way we think, and that's what Christ is telling us in this passage that we're going to get into today. Because making disciples is nothing more than connecting somebody to Jesus Christ. Not connecting them to me, not even connecting them to our church, even though we want them to attend here and we want them to be part of the body and be discipled here. Discipling is about connecting someone to Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to look at today. So that's the mission. We need to change the way we think about the mission. This is the first area we need to change our thinking. We'll move on to the means. Now, back to Matthew chapter 13. The means. Does everyone know what Presbyterians mean when we say the means? Well, think of it this way. If you were going to cut a piece of wood, how would you do it? You would use a saw as the means to do it, to get the job done. And I want you to see in this parable that God uses us to get the job done. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 13, verses 3 through 9. You don't have to stand here, but I'm going to read you the parable. Most of you are familiar with it. And it says, And a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, when we read this parable, we tend to think of ourselves as the sower, right? You're all, it's this way for you, huh? Okay. <laughs> we do. We think, uh, hey, I, I, I'm a sower and I'm coming up short. But I want you to take a look at this guy. This guy is flinging seeds everywhere. He's like my 16-year-old grandson with a $50 bag of centipede just flinging it everywhere. This guy is out there flinging it on the path. He's flinging it in the in the woods, you know, he's, and he's flinging it all over the field. And that is what we're called to do. And we tend to focus on the path and we tend to focus on the thorns instead of on the field. And we get all upset when we fling seeds on the path and they don't work and we get discouraged. We do. Or we've try to talk to someone about the gospel and we're rebuffed, the seeds are landing on hard soil. Or we witness to somebody, they seemingly come to Christ, but over time the seeds spring up and then the cares of life, and the next thing you know they're missing from church, and then you find out that they've gone back into the world and it's just a heart-wrenching experience for you. You're just all tore up, and you're discouraged by that. But I want you to think about a field for a second. Picture whatever a field looks like in your mind. How much of that field is path? How much of that field is rocky, 
hard places. Not much, is it, right? Otherwise, it wouldn't be called a field. It would be called a paved area, <laughs> right? How much of that field is woods and thorns? Not too much. And we get discouraged over these little things and forget that there's 1,500 acres, that's my field, <laughs> out there of good soil. So this parable is not so much about the sower, but it's about the receptiveness of the soil. So we need to change the way we think and not get discouraged over those small things and focus on putting our seed out where it's beneficial and it grows. So, and, and this applies to us too when Christ's seed lands in our hearts and we come to Christ and we're changed. The Bible says here that they brought forth a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. That's how we are. Each of us are to bear fruit. And by bearing fruit, we become sowers ourselves. And I want to say to you plainly, this is the work of Christ. It's not the work of Nate or the work of you. It's the work of Christ. It's Christ who changes people's heart. When that seed hits the good soil, it's Christ who's prepared that heart. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, this is the work of Christ. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. And the Bible says God is in you. God is working in you to will and to do and to operate. God is using you as the means of reaching the lost. You're a saw. You cut wood. You're a seed flinger. You put seed down. It's hard to think of ourselves that way, isn't it? But it's God giving the increase. And Matthew, we've already read it today. I was so uh, pleased to see it in, in our uh, bulletin today. But we are to pray the Lord of the harvest. We're to pray to the Lord of the harvest. He sends workers in the, into the field. We don't send workers. We get things out of kilter here, don't we? We're supposed to be using the Lord's means to pray and to get people into the harvest. I'm going to leave it there. I don't want to preach the whole whole uh, parable because I know uh, Pastor Ron's going to be preaching through these after uh, Easter, I, I believe. So we've got the mission. We know that. We've got the means. God's going to use us to do this, and we're supposed to pray to him and ask for him to strength, strengthen us. We're supposed to be fertile soil. This brings us to the master, or what's called the parable of the weeds here. And I'm going to read that in chapter, or in verse 24 through 30. Verse 24 through 30 says this. He put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. 
Now, we tend to focus on the evil around us, which are those weeds, those tares. Modern terminology would call them darnels. They're a poisonous weed that when they're among the wheat, it makes the crop unusable. And you have to sort that out, otherwise you poison people and animals with with that particular uh, poison that comes from those plants. But we look at the world around us and realize there's tears all around us and what's our first reaction? Well, church has a fancy name for it. It's called a holy huddle. We do. We want to retreat from the world and and we want to back away into our churches and, and, and we want to back away into our little enclaves and we don't want to interface with the world. But that's not what this parable is saying. You see, the master planted these people. As a matter of fact, in the explanation, and I'll just read that a little. He says, the one who sows is the good seed. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. That's Jesus Christ. The field is the world, and the good seed is the children of the kingdom. So the master himself is planting good seed all throughout this field. And there is bad seed. But one thing I want you to be encouraged by in this parable is that the kingdom of God marches forth no matter what and no matter how many evil people are around us. That's right. Don't be discouraged by that. And don't retreat. We're to be among them. Christ says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're not to retreat, and we're not to draw back. And we're not to try to be the Holy Spirit either and go around and try to weed them out ourselves. That's not our job. The master has put us where he has put us, whether there's weeds around us or not. And Jesus intends to build his church wherever he has chosen to plant us. And Christ says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And everyone who comes to me, I'll no wise turn away. So that's the mission, the means, the master. Salvation is the work of the master. And now we move to the measure, the measure. And here's, I struggle in this area. I'll be absolutely honest with you. This is the parable of the mustard seed in verses 31 and 32. Actually, it's the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven together because these are two perspectives on the same idea. And I'll read them to you so you have them loaded in your mind. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And here's the other parable, same point, just told from a different perspective. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, I would submit to you that we tend to focus on the smallness of our contribution here. I'm sorry, I misread. I just realized what I did. Woo, erase that. 
I made a mistake. I meant to read the parable of the mustard seed. He put another parable before them. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till all was leavened. Sorry for the mistake. But we get discouraged very often at the smallness of our contribution. Has everyone in the room seen a mustard seed? I'm going to show you what a mustard seed looks like. Right there. I know you can all see that. Okay? That's what a mustard seed looks like. That's how small they are. And we think, and we let the devil discourage us because we think our contribution is so small and so tiny that God can't use it. But Christ gets glory and he uses our tiny efforts to move his kingdom in very great ways. As a matter of fact, if you remember when Paul talked to, talk to God about his affliction, God told him, he said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. We need to change the way we measure success. We need to move on to Christ's measure of success and not our own measure of success. Mustard seed is about magnitude. Something so tiny can turn into something so large. Think of that. One little prayer from a saint of God can change all of Ukraine. Think of that. One little gift or one little reaching out to somebody in your community, or one little sharing, God can and will take that and turn that into something large and magnificent. In my own life, I have a story like this. I have 25 years ago, I had a friend contact me from 25 years ago, and Kate will attest to this. His name's Danny, and, and we were stationed in Pensacola, Florida. I'm, I'm retired Navy, and we were stationed in Pensacola, Florida, and Danny was about to leave, and, and we had been on the same ship together. So I wanted Danny to hear the gospel. I invited him over for dinner, and we just had a plain talk. I mean, it was the plainest talk I've ever had in my life about the gospel, and it just was flat. And nothing happened. And two years ago, Danny calls me. He texts me, found me on LinkedIn. And, and he called me and he says, hey, I'm going to be in your area. Would you mind picking me up and let's go to dinner? So went to dinner with him, found out he is a wonderful Christian. A wonderful Christian. I mean, a full-grown man of God. You know, Wow. It was just a, a great pleasure being around Danny. So I asked, I had to know. <laughs> I asked Danny, I said, Danny, when did you come to Christ? And he goes, remember that day you invited me over to your house? And I go, well, I, I remember the day. I thought that was the worst gospel pres presentation on the planet. And he said, that's, that's the day that I, I came to Christ. So God can take the little bitty things that discourage us and turn them into something great. So mustard seed is about magnitude. Leaven is about permeability. 
permeability. Leaven permeates everything. Now, leaven often in the Bible is about sin, but in this case, it's a positive thing. It's not about sin. It's not about evil or wicked. It's a positive thing. So think of a mom and dad. You labor years and years with your children, and the gospel begins to permeate their lives. And then when they're, you might have a rebellious kid, okay? And then when they're 25, 30, they come back. They give their life to God because that leaven God uses, that little bitty thing that you did all your life, comes back to them. So that's what this parable is about. And we often, we need to flip the way we think. We need to change the way that we think about how the kingdom of God moves. So that's the mission, the means, the master, the measure, and now we get to the marvel. And I'll reread that again since I made a mistake. I apologize. But I'll reread that again so we have that in our mind. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then, his joy, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. I would submit to you that this is a picture of everyone in this room who is a Christian. If you are a follower of Christ, either at one time in your life, you weren't looking for God, and you ran smack into him in some field somewhere, and you, God revealed to you what a great treasure he was, and that completely changed your life. Or there was some great hole in your heart where you were constantly seeking something, and you were going after it time and time again. You were a pearl merchant. And then one day, God reveals himself to you and calls him to you, and you found that pearl of great value. And that's how we connect the lost around us, this marvel. Let me ask you some hard questions, very hard questions. Have you lost the marvel of your salvation? Does it still make you tremble to think of how Jesus Christ saved you? I know what I'm like. And it just blows me away. Have you lost that marvel? Is it fresh to you? Is it new? Do you come to Jesus every day in prayer and go, Lord, thank you for that salvation? Is that something that's coming out of your mouth all the time when you're around people? Because that, the marvel of your salvation, is what other people see and want to get connected to Christ. That is the key. It's not some drab, droll, well, I got to go to church again. You know, it's I get to worship the living God. God saved me. He changed my life. He took me from this place and put me into his kingdom and totally made me something new. And if that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. Something's wrong and you should reevaluate yourself. You should change the way 
you think. And nearly all Christians fit into this category. Paul, happened to Paul? Remember, Paul wasn't searching for Christianity, was he? Paul was dead set against Christianity. And yet he ran into a guy called Jesus on the road to Damascus, ran smack into him. He found a treasure that he wasn't looking for. And when he saw it, it changed his whole life. How about the eunuch in the Bible? The eunuch was looking for something. He was reading the book of Isaiah, and he didn't understand it. And Philip comes up to him and says, do you understand what you read? He goes, no, somebody needs to help me here. I'm looking, and I can't find. These are the connection points to all of our friends, all of the sinners around us, and all of our communities. This is the joy of our salvation that we often say. The marvel of your salvation is what makes us the sowers in the first parable. You see that? As long as we marvel. Now, if you don't marvel, if you just say, well, I come to church, I would ask you to examine yourself. Seriously. Not a joke. If it's not magnificent to you, if it's not stunning, if Christ is not so beautiful, then we need to get on our knees and ask the living God to show us that. And if you haven't come to Christ, if you haven't stepped into the glory that I'm talking about, the life-changing moment where God just totally changes everything in your life and orients you and you just realize what he's done for you, then I encourage you to seek because you're here this morning and you're hearing the gospel. Seek whoever brought you here this morning. Ask them, hey, help me see this and pray and ask the Lord to help you see that. So we see in the, the mission, the means, the master, the measure, the marvel, and now let's get to the many. And this is kind of a damning statement for many of our churches today. The many. And this is the parable of the net found in verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it to shore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age, the angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The many. People tend to be tribal. We like what we like. Look around the room. We like what we like. We like people who are like us. We like people who do the same things as us. We like people in the same socioeconomic category as us. But Christ says we need to flip the way we think. And we need to change the way we think about this. Now, when we're tribal, we become too restrictive in our focus. Now, tribalism can be a benefit. I'll tell you this, because you have an in with that group, right? You can approach people who are like you and they receive you much easier than approaching people who are not like you. They don't receive you as well and you feel pretty weird about it, 
That's just the truth of the matter. That's how we are. That's how human beings. But we, we are. We need to learn to widen our nets by being more inclusive. And I'm not talking about inclusive like the world is talking about, being inclusive, having quotas, and all this other craziness that's going on. That's not what I'm talking about as the world thinks about it. This is a willingness to share Christ whether we think the others will relate or not. I have another personal story. Uh, it's an amazing story. I, we were at, uh, I was stationed in Pensacola again, and we, were, uh, we, we took a witnessing class. A guy came and taught us how to witness to people, go knock on doors, and evangelism explosions. Some of you have heard of, heard of that, and we learned all that. And uh, when you leave Navy Boulevard, you all know where this is. Uh, when you leave Navy Boulevard and get on Barrancas Avenue and head back to where I live, you pass a biker's bar called the Devil's Disciples. Okay. Cool place. My friend Chris, who weighed about 350, and it wasn't fat, okay, Chris had fingers like a banana, and he played the trumpet, and it looked like he could palm that little bit. It was, it, I used to giggle when he would play trumpet. It, it was just a comical look. This was a big man. And we had just finished the class, and we're dry, and it's evening, and all those bikes, just a sea of bikes out there, and leather is, is all out there. And he goes, stop the truck, stop the truck. And I'm like, you sure about this, Chris? And he says, yeah, I'm sure. I stopped the truck. Chris got out, and do you know, every biker took a track from Chris in the parking lot. And they listened to him. Chris stepped out of his comfort zone. God has people for all types of people. And we get restricted in our little way of thinking. And we got, Christ is calling us to change the way we think, to change the size of our net. So in conclusion, we see that Matthew's point in this whole discourse, remember, we're looking at the whole discourse, not just the particular parables. But Matthew's point in this discourse is to flip the way we think, to change our minds, to change our minds about the mission, to see that it it is Christ calling us to do this mission, and he never leaves us or forsakes us. That passage that we read is that he's always with us to the end of the age. We don't need to be discouraged. We need to be encouraged by that. That we need to flip the way we think about the means. It's not all on me. It's not all on you. Christ is working in the field and he is causing those seeds to spring up and we're just seed flingers. I can't put it any better than that. We're just, we're just seed flingers. The measure, we need to change the way we measure things. We think unless we do something big for Christ, then it's not worthy. And we think that it's the great people in great places doing great things for Christ that matter. When the truth of the Bible is and the truth of what this passage is teaching us, it's the everyday people 
in the everyday places, doing everyday things that Christ uses. That's how we're to measure ourselves. Marvel. We need to change the way we think about this and marvel at our salvation. Because when you begin to do that, nobody can shut you up. They can't. Have you ever found something that was so cool that you just had to tell somebody? I mean, you told everybody. People are like, shut up. And no, that's the way our salvation, we should marvel in that. And that's our big connection point. And then change the size of our net. Go big. Include all kinds of people. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Be encouraged because Christ is with us. So when you understand this big idea in this passage, and, and Pastor Ron is going to preach through each one of these in the upcoming uh, next weeks after Easter. But when you understand this big idea, you have all the tips and tricks and hacks you need to reach your community with the gospel. There's no tip, trick, or hack, is there? It's just falling in love with Jesus and telling other people about it and connecting people to Jesus Christ. That's all there is. So you have Christ. You have all you need. We just need to change the way we think. Christ tells his disciples this exact thing, and I'm going to close with this, in verses 51 and 52. He says, he asks his disciples, he says, have you understood all these things? And I'll ask you this morning, have you understood all these things? Do you see that? Christ says, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven, which you have just been, okay, trained for the kingdom of heaven, is like the master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. You're able to take somebody and, hey, here's what God showed me. Or what's new, here's what God did for me. And here's what a glorious thing it is to live for Christ. You're able to do that. So what are you going to do with this information is my question to you. And I'm going to leave you with some homework. Everybody ready? Groan. Get your groan out of the way. Uh, homework. I want you this week, as you think on this passage, to read through this passage and to look at each one of these parables and ask yourself, am I thinking in accordance with the scripture or am I thinking in accordance with the world? Am I letting the devil kick me around or... Am I trusting in Christ to carry me forward and do that which he's called me to do? That's your homework. I'll call in next Sunday. Just kidding. Let's pray. Father, you are so glorious. You are so magnificent. Lord, you're so beautiful. You forgive trespasses, and yet you don't clear the guilty. Lord, it's just marvelous what you've done in Jesus Christ. Us who cannot approach the kingdom, can, cannot approach the throne through Christ, you have allowed us to approach the throne. Let this, Lord, I pray for this congregation. I pray for myself that this would make us giddy, that it would just tickle us beyond belief, that it would be an incredible thing to us that we value above all things. And it would be just 
something that spills out of our lips and that we throw seed everywhere, Father, that we put it on the path, even though we're rebuffed, that we would put it in the bushes and that we would continually put it in the field, Lord, for you've set a great field before us and you've called many people to work in that field. Father, glorify your name in this community of believers here. Magnify yourself, lift up and exalt yourself and encourage your people to do your work. In Christ's name I ask this, amen.